0: Hello, and thank you for joining What Leaders Need Now. I'm Laura Rockefort, and this is Andrea Chilcote, and we're the co-founders of What Leaders Need Now. In our last episode, we talked about the importance of leaders extending compassion to others in the workplace. Today, we're going to be discussing self-compassion as leaders. We are delighted to have Kathy Gauthier, an executive coach with Connective Living, with us today to talk about this topic. Kathy, welcome. Thank you
1: so much. I'm so happy to be here to talk about this important topic that's oftentimes missed as a big part of leadership.
2: Kathy, I am so delighted that you're here. I've been doing a lot of work around compassion and self-compassion, and I discovered Dr. Kristen Neff's work. Uh, Kristen did pioneering work 10, 10 years ago, over a decade ago. In the field of self-compassion. And I've, I've discovered that the word compassion stems from the Latin compati, which means to suffer with. And Dr. Neff says that self-compassion requires that we recognize our own suffering. And she contrasts the components of self-compassion by their positive and their negative constructs. And I'm going to lay those out because I think that'll serve as a foundation for some of the discussion that we we can have today. So number one, she describes being kind and understanding toward oneself rather than being self-critical. And I think all three of us as coaches would say that there are so many of us who are, are self-critical um, rather than extending compassion toward ourselves. Number two, she contrasts seeing one's own fallibility as just part of the greater human condition rather than being isolating to ourselves. And then number three, she talks about holding one's painful thoughts and feelings in what she calls mindful awareness rather than avoiding or over-identifying with them rather than ruminating about them. And in my new book, What Leaders Need Now, I compare these constructs to what I call personas or archetypes that I often see in my role as an executive coach. The reason I'm so excited that you're here, Kathy, is that you have a plethora of experience with a population that has a particular lack of self-compassion, while at the same time showing a tremendous compassion for others. Can you tell us about that work and the insights that you've derived from that?
1: Absolutely. I spent a lot of my early years in my career, and maybe even the majority of years working in the high tech world. And so that was definitely a very strong population of people who struggled to give themselves self-compassion. But most recently in about the last four years, I've primarily been working in the healthcare industry. And as you can imagine, I was quite surprised because, you know, this is a population where compassion is so freely given. It's part of the DNA of a caregiver, and it just is throughout those organizations, even at the leader level. But when it came to actually observing leaders of all levels and how they work with themselves in times of need for compassion, it was very striking that it was a struggle. And it was very clear that boundaries had a lot to do with it. The lack of knowing when to say no, when to say yes. And the idea that you're, you know, the strong one, you're the person that has the answers. You're the guide to solving problems. You're the guide to healing, you know, that's their business. They're in the business of healing. And so to then be very calm and confident and, quite honestly, authentic with themselves to say, oh, this is a moment that I'm not at my best. This is a moment I do need some extra care. It felt a little bit like defeat in some cases, or preempting it with some self-care or time away might feel selfish and come with guilt. So these are all different dynamics, depending on the individual, that requires attention, that requires Introspection so that you learn about yourself, so that when you do need those kind words, those breaks, those aspects of what you would coach others to do, that you give them to yourself as a leader. A great part of my work with leaders is to, in fact, invite them to offer themselves the opportunity for self compassion. And as interesting as this might sound, there needs to be some permission granted. Because whether it is ingrained from kind of personal experiences as to why they pursue all of the things with great vigor and never take a break, or if it is something that from a cultural standpoint of being the leader, in this case, the caregiver, the strong answer to problems, but no matter what the source of and lack of self-compassion permission needs to be granted and you have to think about why you're not doing that naturally.
0: I would imagine, Kathy, that when you're in those high stress environments like that, it it's a little hard to give yourself permission. And there's something about you that makes that difficult. Andrea, what do you what do you think those those might be?
2: What I find is it's often helpful for people to have really specific examples. And so sometimes people can identify with those. So I don't know, I think Kathy might be able to help us with some examples. I can pose an example from myself that I see in a lot of other people, and maybe we can answer that question through some specific examples. I'll list out the personas that I identified in the book, and I'll, I'll give kind of self, I'll self-reveal one of those that, that I identify with. So the personas I've identified are the self-critic, um, and these relate to um, Dr. Neff's uh, three three contrasts. The self-critic uh, are the people who are judge them their short, shortcomings more harshly than they would a friends or a crit uh, a colleagues. The perfectionist; um, those are the people who irrationally believe human frail fail, fallibility does not apply to them. And then there's the ruminator, um, the people who over-identify with negative feelings, um, sometimes to the point of physical illness or inaction. And so I, I identify with the self-critic, or at least I used to identify heavily with the self-critic. I've done a tremendous amount of work on that. And the, the story I'll offer really briefly, I tell more about this in the book, is that I didn't really know that, that she existed. Until several years ago, a colleague um, who who's, uh, happens to be a psychologist was in my kitchen for a long weekend, and she, she said, could I give you some feedback? And, and she said, you know, you, you're a wonderful cook, and you make beautiful meals, and I do know that I'm a, a good cook, and I love to cook. And she said, and every time you serve a meal, you say something derogatory about it. And I was taken aback and she gave me examples about every meal I served, about how I noticed that something was a little too brown or the vegetables were a little too overcooked. And and I was appalled that I was serving food with a dose of of Mm self-flagellation. And and I started to notice that. And I embarked on a multi-year development process around the critic. And as a coach, we all see people who have this self-critical nature. And I didn't know how strongly that was a part of me. That is a way of not being compassionate toward myself. And I've learned mm-hmm. to foster compassion for myself. And it has been quite a journey and an important one. I think that's equally true for the perfectionist and the ruminator. And I don't know, Kathy, you could, you could share mm-hmm about those as well. Maybe it answers this question about permission.
1: Yes, absolutely. Hearing that story, Mm -hmm. it's such a great example of the kind of wiring that we have that just goes unnoticed. You know, you, you even would probably have been very Confidently saying, Yeah, I know I'm a good cook, not realizing you were also serving up that little extra seasoning with every meal, right? <laughs> and I think that that's something that we want to look at when we think about not only for our own development and the frame of mind that we can walk into our workday, showing up as our best self and, and, you know, being there to be the most productive leader possible, but also what's the impact of that? What example is that giving to the team? And so mm-hmm. a lot of self-compassion comes from delving into these different constructs. I love how you've laid them out. Mm-hmm. And when I look at the perfectionist, I have, a, I have a really specific story here. And I it was with a client. She was working in a high-tech um, high tech role, very well respected, but she had a lot of turnover on her team Mm -hmm. and she could not retain the wonderful talent that was in fact, um, a big part of why she was so successful. And in talking with the groups, you know, there were many different, you know, 360 interviews, things of that nature. It really was coming back to a sense of perfectionism that she had for herself that radiated to others, mm-hmm. and it was a bit challenging to stay in her on her team for a long time. Even though there was great success, great productivity, always the top, it mm-hmm. was not something that felt good all the time, and so I had done a lot of work with her. Um, we had looked at different strategies, and she was offering an idea, and I was very proud that this had come to her and her, her idea was that she wanted to be seen a little more human to her team because she was so driven and really detail-oriented, expecting that same level of performance at all times. This organization had a very, because of the business they were in, they had this elaborate kitchen, cafeteria. And so she thought it would be really fun to do foods from around the world and make a contest out of it, you know, other than the price of the ingredients, great team building. So beautiful idea as a perfectionist would, it was planned to a T. <laughs> every, every aspect was thought through. It was great. Teams were divided in, within her group. They were down in the kitchen and there was one segment that was sushi making. And so <laughs> as you can imagine, sushi can be very beautiful. And you know, there's little art to every little role that's made everyone was having a really good time. Now I had gotten some feedback. I was working with the entire team. So I got some feedback. So the next time I met with her, I asked her how she thought it went. And she said, oh, it was fine. And as if, you know, and, and I had been hearing about the planning for weeks and it was very quickly answered, not basking any of the success, not feeling the joy that this really had worked but, oh, it was fine. You know, I just found it was kind of a little bit unnerving though. Like, you know, as people were leaving, I even saw rice on the back of, you know, their shirts and it was a bit messy. And, and, you know, some of the the sushi rolls, you know, some of the rice was like all over the place. Like we had to, I didn't factor in extra time for the cleanup. And all I heard about were the details that were not pleasing to her. Interestingly, you're making sushi. Would there be a rogue piece of rice? I would hope so, right? It's an interactive situation. And that was the main focus. And so we were able to take this metaphorical rogue rice and talk about how there isn't perfection in the workplace. And there are also lessons that can be taken from the imperfection. When I moved it to a place of, wow, you had a team dynamic that you never had before. You had fun. Don't miss that part, sit and enjoy. It was such a great metaphor because we weren't talking about a work result. It was kind of a light bulb moment where she realized what she's missing and what she deserves to experience. And so I think that kind of you know, lens of how you look at the world and then it can be actually simpler when you offer yourself grace. Mm-hmm. And that idea of offering grace, you know, is the same with the ruminator, the ruminator who can be in a spiral of negative thoughts. But when you're leading a team, how does that translate? You're inviting them, the entire team to be in this spiral with you. And then there's a feeling of being stuck and not moving forward. And so it's very important to do that introspection work so that you, in fact, can lift out of whatever construct you live in. And self-compassion is the way to do that. It's that personal spirit of generosity that you give to yourself that can lift you from these confines.
2: A personal spirit of generosity to give yourself. And it's that is such a simple yet very difficult path Challenging and difficult path and requires some deep work.
0: Mm -hmm. And that shedding of those personas, you know, like you both described, that idea of how do I go from being the person I've always been to becoming a person who first notices, has that sense, maybe sense of fun and joy and spirit of learning and wanting to know that there's another way and I can let go of that persona because. My life might be better if I do. And I just wonder, Kathy, when, you know, just sitting with that, what advice do you have if there's people that are watching right now and they're thinking about, you know, I do have these tendencies and they do affect my leadership. What do I do about that?
1: Yeah. So you have to let yourself off duty sometimes, right? And Mm -hmm. not always hold yourself to a standard that isn't something you can maintain, And one of the things, especially in working in the last few years where it's been extra complicated in the healthcare industry, I've been working with caregivers and leaders of caregivers with a great resilience practice called self-compassion breaks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, resilience is such a strong word right now. Resilience is something that um, we can even see on probably grocery store magazine covers But it isn't some magic formula that you have to really labor over and spend endless hours contemplating. It's something you can work into your day quite simply. And so I want to walk through what a compassion break is and how you can adapt it. So this isn't the only way to do it, but it can give a kind of overview of how you can stop and give yourself a little bit of a break. And so I want to share with you that the very most important thing is to separate away from whatever is causing you the emotion that's not desired. Sometimes people will even preempt this kind of chaos they might get in a day by beginning the day with a compassion break or mm-hmm. the day with a compassion break. And I've also found what's really helpful too is to even think about in the middle of a workday, you can take a walk around the building. You can go into, as silly as it might sound, take a quick break in the restroom and you know go into a, a bathroom stall and just give yourself a quiet moment. Mm-hmm. But wherever you find yourself, be very clear that you're there and it's for you. And mm-hmm. so you feel the ground beneath you And we can go through one right now, if you would like to join me. Mm -hmm. And the most important thing is to begin this spirit of generosity, knowing that whatever you're feeling is in fact human. And you're not the only one who has felt whatever this emotion is right now. And that you are someone who is living through struggles through rough moments, through good times, through busyness, through a hectic pace, and that this is just part of the human condition. Mm. And this is just something that, in fact, all people experience and you're not alone. And so you wanna consciously be feeling your breath. You might even wanna take some deeper cleansing breaths in through your nose, and taking all of the stress that you might be feeling in your day and releasing it out through your mouth. And some people like to do the reverse order. And I point that out because really it's what feels best to you. This is your moment to feel comfort. So there's no right way, whatever your way is. And as you sit in this moment, Allow your feelings to surface. This is very critical because we're not intended to just push away any negativity. You wanna face it. You wanna understand what you're feeling. And so sit with what you're feeling right now in this moment and what kind of least desirable things that are kind of giving you stress, maybe it's frustration, whatever you're feeling, allow it to surface and name it something, face it. Mm -hmm. And then after you do that, you don't wanna leave it to chance where it goes. You've now met it. You've now seen what is causing you a little bit of distress. And then you wanna just kind of dissipate its hold on you. You want it to be diminished. So the next thing you wanna do is match to these feelings, some kind words, some powerful words that you need to hear right now. The same kind of words that maybe you would offer to someone very freely because you know how to offer compassion, perhaps. So what would you tell a friend in this moment who is in this situation? And then you grab onto a phrase. It might be, I am capable, I am good, I am strong, whatever phrase, and repeat that to yourself and match it to your breathing. Now, compassion breaks can take as long or as short a time as you would like. It's whatever you need. You can plan them every day at the beginning or end, like I mentioned earlier. But the idea of giving in a very conscious way something that you need to hear this is a leadership tool that prepares you to go out strongly and then share your strength, your talents, whatever your purpose is, mm. those that you lead and those you come in contact with.
2: Kathy, during the compassion break, you suggested that you might consider the compassion that you give for to others and consider giving compassion to yourself. And in the research that I did for the book, I found that there was very little research that's been done correlating self-compassion and compassion for others. In your experience, can you comment on that?
1: Yes, it is quite surprising. You would think this is a capability that once you would know it, you would know how to offer it in multiple directions. I I do not see that there is a correlation with people who can offer compassion freely, that they necessarily know how to do that for themselves. As a matter of fact, in the healthcare industry, I see it's quite the opposite. I do believe what is the most important truth to connect with here is that compassion is this outward way to connect where self-compassion is a form of preservation and preparedness so that you can be available for others. So I do feel that the most important part of this as a leadership capability, self-compassion, is to look inwardly, figure out where you do not offer those moments that you need to yourself when you need them, and then take that, that grace and permission to give that self-compassion to yourself, you'll benefit from it. And so will the people that you lead.
0: Kathy, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your wisdom and your knowledge about self-compassion. It's going to be a really helpful um, presentation for many people. So thank you for that. We hope that you all will join us again for What Leaders Need Now. You can go to www.whatleadersneednow.com to get more information on leadership topics. Thanks everyone. Take good care of yourself and your teams.